Uh, so I have a, uh, <laughs> I found something slightly humorous. Um, okay, so you, you saw that Mark won the CEO of the year from TechCrunch. <laughs> I did. You <laughs> won a crunchy. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Crunchy. Did you see, like, I don't know, I guess it's over the course of the past couple of weeks that, and I don't follow really any of the official Salesforce Twitter accounts, except for the Salesforce engineering one, which is actually pretty cool. And I don't mm. even know if that's official or not. Um, but I saw just via like retweets, um, the official Salesforce accounts, like they were chilling for this. Like they were, you know, trying to drum up support to get people to go out and vote. I don't, I don't know if it was, a like a, like a, just a user, a customer public vote or what, but, um, I saw like several retweets of them trying to get votes for some, some kind of CEO making, you know, make Mark Benioff the CEO of the year or whatever. And I, I guess it was for this. Yeah, I think so. I think I saw something like that on Twitter or something where it says someone was saying, go vote for Mark or something. Yeah. And Mark's always been, uh, not that, you know, he's always been a tech crunch, uh, friendly, I guess you could say he's always doing, you know, interviews and stuff on, in fact, I think we've, clipped some audio from some of his interviews on TechCrunch in the past. Right. But, um, yes, yeah, so the reasoning was, you know, because of his, um, charity, you know, the firm has, uh, continued to expand, you know, the revenue is up to 1.383 billion, but that's only quarterly. So that's, I guess, the, oh yeah, it's a recent quarter. You know, they, they leased that giant building or or whatever, the one that's being built. Yeah, Salesforce, Salesforce Tower. Tower. Yep. But here's my favorite part. All told, and this is, where is it? This is, was this in TechCrunch? I don't even yeah, remember. It's in, it was, I, I know what you're talking okay. about. This is my favorite part. All told, Salesforce is growing and its CEO is using his personal wealth derived from his math, massive profits from the company he runs to invest in San Francisco's community. Okay, so what was wrong with that <laughs> sentence? <laughs> well, well, he's getting profits. The shareholders aren't, apparently. Well, that's not even true because, you know, annualized. I mean, Salesforce's mark or uh, Salesforce's share price is up like, you know, annualized like 29% a year since it went public. So shareholders have done pretty well. Um, but the company, you know, yeah, it's what, what profits, what massive profits are they referring to? His massive profits. I've <laughs> <laughs> derived from his massive profits from the company he runs. I guess so. But profit's not the right word, is it? Sure it is. Um, You're just for, jealous. You're no, just jealous. No, I'm not jealous. I just, I just think this is, again, an example of really shoddy reporting. Okay, and here, what, check this next sentence out. So for all that, not to mention Salesforce's consistent donation of profits to charity. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm sure those charities are loving that Salesforce profit. Yeah. 1% of zero. <laughs> uh, no, but they do, you know, so they've, and I saw, um, did you see the, uh, the guest, you know, article, guest written article that Mark wrote for the Huffington Post? Uh, I saw it and I think I read a little bit of it, but then I just couldn't stomach it and I, I turned it. I'm not it really was, a fan of the Huffington Post anyway, so. Well, yeah, so it was, um, it was all about, oh, you know, I should have, let me pull that up because it had, it really has some gems. Um, hmm. Man, you should have had this prepared. Yeah, I know. Uh, here it is. Here it is. So it's, it's, you know, he entitles it a call for stakeholder activists, stakeholders. So that's his new thing. Oh he yeah. Is, it was, he has like, now like, disowned shareholders, shareholders. You can go screw yourselves. Uh, he, and he only cares about stakeholders. <laughs> And it's basically just about, you know, he's in Davos with all the CEOs and this is his 14th year because he's, you know, in the milieu of, yeah. of uh, important people. And, uh, you know, it's all about how, you know, we need to quit worrying about, I wish I could find the exact quote. I'm not probably not going to find it, but we need, we need to quit with our obsession with profits, right? That's yeah. a, it's a pointless thing to, to be concerned with. He should be concerned with, um, you know, the, the climate, you know, he's a climate alarmist. So he thinks we're, you know, we're going to blow ourselves up. Uh, you know, Im impending climate doom. Um, let's see what else. Uh, it just goes on and on about this kind of crap. But basically, it's just you know, quit, quit worrying about, quit bothering me about profits. Damn it! <laughs> That's what it is. I'm all right. He's I'm sick of hearing about it. I have a I have a hospital with my name on it now. <laughs> Don't worry about me. He's had enough of the whole profit thing. So just get off his back. 
And, you know, he's basically saying, you know, we should be not shareholders, but stakeholder activists. We should have a, you know, we're all stakeholders in, um, you know, the climate and the earth and the planet and, and singing songs and telling secrets and laughing. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's all, I, I don't know. That's, I, I think that's a way, because you, you know, you hear people, you know, business leaders to use this kind of talk, this kind of verbiage. And it's, it's all about them creating this perception that they're rising above, you know, the status quo of business and, and, and uh, this short sightedness and small mindedness of traditional business. It's like, well, dude, I mean, this is the way, you know, corporations form together for, for purposes and before profit. I mean, it's literally a for profit corporation. And I, I, he really is. I mean, I guess he's trying to abstract, you know, profit generating into these higher level functions, you know, kind of in programming terms. But really, when you get down to it, it's it's all about creating profits. You can't do anything unless you are generating value. Yeah. And and I'm and I don't mean some kind of bullshit, you know, carbon dioxide value. I'm talking about money. If you're not, you know, generating positive cash flow, you know, at least if you're not profitable, at least you know, at least cash flow or operationally positive so that you can do these things that are important to you. And if, you, because you've, if you're not, you know, it's again, it's back to like, if you can't handle step, if you can't get to step one, then you, you're never going to get to your higher level things. True. And I, I mean, I think it's with anything, whether it's personal or, or a corporation, the, the bigger you are and the more money you have to invest the, or to, to, to put into charity, you know, that, that's something that's a luxury that you have when you're small and growing and hungry. You just don't have that much of a luxury. And I don't think that's lost on him. I mean, he, he started the company with the whole one, one, one model and he'll, he'll tell you right then and there, there was nothing to give. Um, but now that he has it, it's, it's coming out of there. Yeah. And, and I think, I think, I mean, from what I can tell, I think Mark, as far as the giving thing, I mean, if you believe what, you know, is, is written, I mean, I think he gives more money personally than, than the Salesforce Foundation does. I could be wrong about that. I mean, one would have to go to the foundation's Form 990, which I uh, well, hardly, I mean, hardly encourage everyone to do. Bureaucracy with trying to give away the company's money um, versus personal, where you can make a lot of those decisions quickly and more, a lot more easily. I guess so. I mean, and I don't know if Mark. I mean, obviously he has strong influence, but I don't. I don't know if he's the if he can just you know make if he's the ultimate decision maker on on the foundation where you know where it but yeah i mean if you look at their form 990 you can see well where, i think where, there's where a the certain amount of responsibility going. involved i mean you can't just say oh we we're just gonna toss a billion dollars down down the charity way i mean it, there has to be some governance there has to be some decision making there has to be you know profitability weighed in and all that kind of stuff so i don't i don't think it's as easy a decision to as it is to kind of do with your personal funds i, I see what you're saying yeah i mean there's there are more stakeholders involved right <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Uh, I don't think it's a bad message. I, I, I don't, I, I somehow think that they like to listen to them tell themselves talk and they like to give these, do these grand gestures of philosophy and things like that, where they just, they just want to imagine this utopian world where everything's just, you know, it, it, everything's perfect. And I, it, the real world isn't like that. And companies exist to make a profit and public companies, especially, they're they're designed to to make profits for those who are investing in the company. So, it's it's good. It's a nice gesture. I don't fault them for it, and I'm they've done a lot of good with the charity they've done. So I don't fault them for it at all. But to me, it's just more words. It's just more pats on the back, more than anything. And I take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, I, yeah, he do, he does blow that horn quite often, doesn't he? Or is it toot? He toots his horn. <laughs> toots his horn. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, well, but congratulations to Mark for winning again. I yeah, have to stay I mean, positive because I have a feeling this this podcast is going to be a little negative on the yeah, negative side. You have to side. balance, mate. No, you're the you're the you're the positive. I'm the negative. Yeah, that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah, you're the the yin and the yang. Yeah, I mean, I know it's obviously it's a great thing for Salesforce to you know to just win these awards. It's just good, really good PR, and um, and I you know I think he's a I mean, I, I don't disagree. I don't agree with everything he does, but it's kind of hard to argue. Um, you know, I like their product. I, they seem to be a pretty decent company to work for. They get pretty good marks. Um, you know, 
that he's made a lot of millionaires at Salesforce, I'm sure. Um, and oh, inside and, and, and now. Exactly. And, and even just the rank and file, you know, people are well paid. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a good company, but, uh, yeah, yeah that doesn't mean I can't uh, criticize and analyze. No, that's what, not. that's what, you know, that's what happens when you're a big public company and you're a very public figure, um, who makes a lot of claims and, and calls people out and criticizes others. You're, you know, that's, that's just, uh, the world we live in. You're going to get, you're going to get criticized. Yeah. And it's all fair game. And I certainly don't think Benioff's thin-skinned. I think think he knows how to handle that type of criticism. I've never heard him kind of go off on Twitter or bash anybody or try to respond to some troll or something like that. Uh, he, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, you know, if he... Um, I did I, if he did were, I just technically just call you a troll? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and he has responded to me. <laughs> um, but uh, I think if, you know... I, yeah, I agree. I think if, you know, if, if Mark... If I, was, if I ever met Mark and if he you know, knew, um, you know, some of the criticism I'd had for him, which he doesn't know who I'm in, probably never will. But I think he would, uh, I think he'd just come and give me a big old hug. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we were saying, he's a, he's a big teddy bear, you know? Yeah. And he's all full of the, um, the, uh, you know, the aloha, man. Yeah. He's, uh, it's all cool. He's a chill dude. Yeah, just let it. Just ride the wave. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, So what else? What else is going on? Good question. We have the release coming up this weekend for most of the instances, uh, the new spring release. Yeah. Fortunately, I don't have any kind of deployments or anything going on and everything is like, everything's already set. So I don't really worry about Uh, this. I spent hours last night on a deployment and it was horrible. And it reminded me of how much I hate deployments Uh, because essentially I, Everything passes locally. You run it. Unit tests get run. Something gets broken. It's a big org. So unit tests take 30 minutes to an hour to run. I'm not going to exaggerate. It took about 20, 25 minutes for the test to run for me to get the feedback that it broke. Um, Actually, I don't know why this is, but the tests that failed were on the tail end of the the test. Because usually when a test fails, you can see it and it keeps going. And then you can click on view errors and you can get access to what the error is. So you have kind of a proactive way of getting in there and managing those errors. Um, but in this case, the failures didn't happen until towards the end. So I essentially had to run it, wait the entire cycle until those errors showed up so I can see what was going on. And at that, I was kind of spinning my wheels. Nothing I did changed it. So I'm still dealing with that. But it was a long night of just dealing with that. Um, yeah. And then more well, recently, I had some weird bug that showed up. Um, for some reason with workflow being enabled, they would send this weird, could not create this record or do something because some flow was not triggered correctly. And it's apparently a bug that I thought they addressed, um, but it showed up in an org for a client that I was trying to run the test unit test for in a sandbox. So I don't think it, it happens in the winter 15. It's only in or winter 14. I think it's only in spring 15. Is it winter 15? Either way, in the last last release, I don't think it's in that. So whatever they changed in this release for flows or triggers um, seems to have caused an issue. Yeah, I mean, it just, happened in two different orgs, and it all revolved around the workflow getting triggered. The the intersection between workflow, field updates, triggers, um, and now the flow stuff is just such a cluster. It's getting there. Yeah. I mean, it, it, before before flow, it was or whatever. It's what's the the um. What's it called when you can drag and drop to basically create like little triggers now? The, are you talking about the process builder? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I guess process flow or whatever it is. Um, it was a mess before that. I mean, I, that's why I've always had like a policy of like, if there's any triggers involved, just no workflow because they're too hard to test. People don't test them. People change them on the fly in production and they have no, you know, it's, it's like giving administrators a stick of dynamite and say, here you go. This is your only tool. And and it's got super glue on it, and so they can't they can't throw it away. It's I don't know. There's like no well, good option. Workflow's a bit extreme, though. I, I, what I what I did when I had control over that whole process was that we treated every change, whether it was a field update, a formula new formula field, workflow rule. We treated it as a development item, not necessarily that we would dev, we would do the work, but admins had to follow our process. Meaning, they had to put the change into a sandbox. They had to go through all the UAT testing and all that kind of stuff and get validated. They couldn't just make a change in production. Uh, and that worked out pretty well because we were able to catch a lot of things before it went to production. 
it was painful for users who um, at the time were used to calling up system admin and saying, hey, I need this field. I want to start tracking X, Y, Z. And they could get it done. So it was a bit of a change there, um, but it became a necessary evil just to be able to manage those those issues. Well, and it just really becomes the only right way to do it. And people, you know, sales people, you know, Salesforce customers, you know, our, you know, our clients, they don't like hearing that. Um, it's a shocker, right? Well, no, because I mean, they're sold on, you know, the system of being able to configure it and, and manage it and change but, things. Button and click admins. admin, button click admin, right? Point and click, you know, clicks, not code. I mean, just all these, all these different mantras and just lies. I mean, yeah. Okay, I, would say, I wouldn't call it as far as calling it lies. Well, they're, there's, they're misrepresentations. It's just, it's not that simple. Well, it's, it's like with most things, you can do it, but it's best that you not. And that's where the best practices <laughs> <Okay>. come from. <laughs> oh, okay. Isn't it? I, I don't even believe in best practices. I don't think they exist. So I'm, yeah, I don't even know where to go with that one, but. I'm happy that I can create fields in production because sometimes during a deployment, it's easier if, if I just have one field to deploy and I have a hundred profiles to modify, I'll just manually create the field in production and give it at that point, give access to all profiles versus trying to deploy it and then select all be kind of scared that I'm going to select a profile and it's going to modify something that I didn't intend it to do for production. Cause I really hate the way deployment packages and profiles work. It's just so confusing. and so vague. It's supposed to work where whatever's in your package that those permissions for that and those profiles get carried over. But I'm always nervous that I'm overriding something and I have overwritten something before. So, well, and that's why at some point it becomes the rule that you cannot make any config changes in production because they will get overwritten on deployment. You know, this, right. we have now built this big thing that in itself is a big app, you know, comp composite application. It's made, it's an application that's made up of a bunch of other you know, installed applications, you know, custom build applications, plus the all on top of the native stuff. And it's when you're deploying it, you're basically deploying this, again, this composite big blob. And you, if you go make a change in production, then you are, you're doing it like kind of like out of stream and it's just going to get clobbered. Yeah. But I mean, it's probably should be said that a lot of our clients are bigger enterprise companies. And so they have that large amount of configuration, that huge amount of code base. Um, their, their problems are just solved for in, in much bigger ways. Not to say that smaller businesses aren't as complex because they are. And I've seen that. Um, it's just that they have, they have a lot more going into it. It usually involves multiple developers, multiple people modifying the system. And that's where kind of centralizing the management of that really comes into play. And you know what? It, I think it's high time we, we quit calling them unit tests. There really are no unit tests in Salesforce. When you run a test, it fires up the entire system, database, you know, the entire thing, email services, everything. It is not, these are not unit tests. These are full on integration tests. I don't know why they, um, is I unit tests calling them unit tests. Well, I mean, it's, it's just, just not, a word to me. It's, it's a word. Yeah. I mean, I think that what I mean, that just should be tests, tests. Yeah. They're not unit tests. Say tests anyways. I mean, you, you technically could do just unit tests, but first of all, hardly anyone does that. Yeah. Um, because hardly anyone has their code factored out well enough that they, that they actually could test just an individual unit. But second of all, even if you do keep it to just a unit test, Salesforce doesn't know that. There's no way to say, hey, don't fire up the database or anything. Keep these tests super fast because I'm not touching the database. I'm simply testing Apex units. There's, there's no actually, there's no, there's no switch to turn that on so that you're actually just running unit tests. So. But we seem to be getting closer to, to some kind of unit testing with, with some of the new features that they're talking about adding in terms of running a test and being able to deploy it or being able to exclude certain things from testing. Oh, that, no, that's not, that's just, that's all, that's like basically partitioning parts of your test so that others don't have to run. But the, the test, the part that you've, that you've carved off that you are testing, that's still, you're, it's still a full stack test. Yeah, true. Anyway. Yeah, just. Uh, so while we're on the subject of unit testing, I have to rant a bit because I developed this code. This client had this need to kind of see what the last activity was, but it required some filters. I had to kind of select a certain type of activity. And so I thought, okay, well, the easiest thing to do and the quickest thing to do is to access activity histories. And of course, you, you can only, you can't query that object directly, which really sucks. I really hate that I can't just query it directly, pass it an ID and say, here, here, give me the, the activity history for these records. You have to do it as a subquery of that object. 
So already that's kind of a, a bit of a pain, but it kind of worked out because I needed that top level object anyways, and I would have to create a map anyways. So it was fine. So then I got to my unit testing and either I forgot this or never knew this, but my test would not pass. And can you guess why? Because for some reason, activity history is not part of the, the test. You, okay, I'll say it a different way. You have to do see all data for activity history to work. I, for there to be any data there or just to yeah, be able yeah, to query For there it. to be any data there. It I mean, what if, you create, what if you create the activity history as a part of the, it's the a test read picture? On, it's a read-only. So, so to test it, I created, we'll, we'll go with the account. I created an account and I created a task and I created an event. Each one having its own, there's like four, four of those because I needed to be able to select the most recent one based on a certain type of criteria. So, of course, I created a couple of different scenarios. And I queried and ran my test and nothing was happening. It kept failing. And I could not figure it out. I was like, the object's there. It's getting created. I even manually created data just to prove it out. And it still wasn't working. And I finally started typing online looking for, for it. And it comes up as, yeah, you have, to, you have to enable see all data for that to work. You know, that's just enough. I wish, is there a list of, of the scenarios in which you have to enable CL data? So I know it's anything related to price books and anything that has anything to do with price books and opportunities. Um, anything that has anything to do with the connect API, which is the, uh, misnamed chatter API in apex. Um, there's, I guess this activity history now, or what's it called? Is it activity history? Yeah, it's activity history, but you call it activity histories for the sub object. For the I mean, query. I mean, I wonder what other areas require CL data. I mean, it just really, yeah. I don't that know. I mean, when it's, when it gets to be that many things, you might as well just always CL data, especially in, in the case like this. I think I talked about this before, but like we had a lot of triggers that all that would always create chatters, like triggers on all kinds of objects, account, ob, you know, opportunities, contacts, leads that any change, any of them would create some chatter stuff. Right. And so that, so as a part of any unit test, we're, we have to set up our, our test environment, which includes, you know, creating some accounts and contacts. Well, those fire off our, the triggers, which do, which do chatter stuff. So basically all the tests required CL data to be true. Yeah. So what made the situation even worse was the fact that this was a big org and they had Rollup Helper installed, which means once I enabled CL data, Rollup Helper, Helper kicked off and it, of course, started throwing, oh, you have, you query too much record data and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, I don't have a way to solve for that now. I don't know how to, how to fix that because it's Rollup Helper that's throwing the errors now. So I can't isolate my, my test data from the full org data now because I had, I'm using activity history. And unfortunately, for some reason, when I query just the tasks and the activities as sub-objects and not use activity history, I was losing a record. And for some reason, and not, not with my testing, but with live actual, actual data, I'm not sure why the difference. So activity here is much more accurate for me. That's the one that the client's going to go and say, yep, I'm going to validate it against what's in my related list on activity history. For some reason, querying tasks and activities separately and relying on that account ID field being populated was not as accurate as activity history. So there was a little difference there, which forced me to use that. And, and then it just was compounded by the fact that now I have to deal with Rollup Helper. And it was just, it was just horrible. Yeah, that's a bummer. Hmm. We need a rant jingle for you. Yeah. Just, just rant. Ah, deployments. Um, oh, you know what else? While we're on the subject of ranting is chatter. I have, I have a lot of clients, especially with squid. Cause I'm doing some squid stuff related around chatter for some creating some notifications or even just some communications. And I kind of have to rebuild that interface. And what you have to be careful with is a lot of the chatter objects, even though I, as a system administrator that's writing this application, can see all of that data. So I can see all the feed items. I can see all the topic assignments and all those kind of things. Um, a user that doesn't have the see all data permissions won't be able to access that information. So I'm plugging away thinking, oh, this works great. And I hand it out to the users to test and they're getting permission er- errors left and right. Because um, they don't have access to what, like topics? No, it's not or- even that type of access. Is because the way Chatter handles it is that if you have see all data, you, you can see all the data. You can query the entire fat um, feed items from, from Chatter. You can see all these little individual topic items. If not, if you're not in that system admin context, then you can't access it. You can only access it through certain objects. Like I can't just query feed items as a regular user. I have to go to the account object and query the, do a subquery to get the feed items. 
But as are you, a, are you using the connect API? No, no, no. I'm not using the API. I'm just using standard queries because again, this is oh. squid and I have to rely on creating okay. a model. So I, I technically could work around it by writing some JavaScript and doing that. But of course my goal was to create a model and do that. Yeah. There's, so it's weird how a lot of the chatter stuff you can, you can either do through the connect API or you can do it there. They appear as like tables that you can write SQL queries against. Right. Um, but again, there's, there's all that weird stuff wrapped around it. Well, yeah. And there, and so, you know, obviously using it, the API and, and, you know, and SQL are two there, you get a, it's a completely different view into the chatter data and it's a different model and you get different, you know, and use the connect API. It's all, it's kind of, it enables a lot of things that would be either difficult or, or just impossible, you know, querying, um, uh, querying from, uh, the, the, you know, the SQL way. Um, you can get, uh, you know, you can do like really convenient paging and it includes all kinds of like, you know, photos and, you know, all the, all the stuff that you would need to actually represent the chatter information in, you know, in a visual way. And there's just a lot of stuff you can't do through SQL. So maybe that's kind of what you're hitting. Yeah. So I, I may have to switch it out and actually use the connect API for that, but we'll see. We'll see what workarounds I come up, come up with. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what else is going on? Um, doom and gloom, doom and gloom. Did you see how, um, <laughs> I saw this thing. It was, a uh, I don't know where it was from, but it was, um, it was about how Salesforce and Microsoft, you know, became, became buddies after, uh, Steve Ballmer left. The interesting thing about it was, um, so here's a, here's a little piece I highlighted. Um, so even after the partnership was announced, um, Salesforce.com rising star Jody Koner was preaching the anti-Microsoft mantra to new sales recruit recruits. She told them, quote, this is literally a killer partnership. We're going to wrap our arms around Microsoft. We're going to pretend like we're a boa constrictor and we're going to suck the life out of them. And that was after they became partners. I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, Where did that information come from? That. I don't know. That um, seems like some pretty confidential yeah. stuff to, I'm to sure say something like, an, like that. It's like an email that slipped or something. This was in Business Insider in September, is if you want to oh, go yeah. look at an article called Salesforce.com exec. We're going to suck the life out of Microsoft. Anyway, um, but then it says, um, it's, I guess this is Mark. Um, I was at a dinner with, with Satya Nadella uh, and Satya was talk, talking about what he wanted to achieve with a company and how he wants to be more collaborative. So I decided to test him. I told him I wanted to hire one of his technologists as head of our infrastructure. What would be in it for Microsoft is the foundation of a partnership that would give us more kinds of ideas of things we can do together. And he said, okay. <laughs> Interesting. So now we're learning about the things that we could do with Microsoft's file management technologies and office that we would never have known on our own. So it's interesting. It, I guess it was like a test. Like Mark said, Hey, you know, I want to be a partner, but I want you to let me hire this guy first. It's like what proof that they were, he was serious about being a partner. I mean, is this, is this a normal business practice? <laughs> it seems kind of weird for the person that, that was part of this transaction. It's like you come into work one day and they go, I, I sold you to, to Salesforce. Uh, <laughs> did he get a pay raise? Did he have a decision in it? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure he, I mean, anyone who's in that kind of demand, you know, I'm sure he did well. It's funny. It's also said, I don't know who this is quoted here, but it says the other guy and in brackets, former Microsoft CEO, Steve Ballmer did not care about having a relationship with Salesforce. In fact, he kind of did everything he could to not have a relationship with Salesforce. That must've been, um, I think that was Mark saying that actually, but anyway, it says we're guessing the poached employee in question is Salesforce.com's infrastructure engineering, uh, Randy Kern, Randy Kern. So anyway, if you ever see Randy, you can, uh, Ask him for the backstory. I'm sure that I'm, that's really interesting, actually. You know, it's it's interesting when these uh, you know private kind of some details of these private deals get um, you know get unearthed. I got to think. I, I, yeah, I mean that that kind of story kind of seems very one sided to Salesforce in terms of the benefits. So I'd, I'd I'd be interesting to read or hear about something that shows what the upside is for Microsoft. Well, um, Salesforce having good integration with like office online and all the Microsoft file sharing stuff that just adds value to Microsoft. Like if all these companies who are, who are, who are Salesforce customers and they're, and they're not even considering switching to Microsoft CRM, they can still be locked into Microsoft. 
if Salesforce is well integrated with Microsoft. So it really adds a lot of value to Microsoft to, to, for Salesforce to be a, be a you know, well-integrated partner. It, it benefits sales. I mean, Salesforce in a big way. I mean, they've already got that tight integration with Google and now, and now they'll, they'll start releasing a tighter integration with, with Microsoft. I, again, I struggle to see where, where Microsoft's really going to benefit from it. Because all of, all of their, all of Salesforce and Microsoft's joint customers continue, can continue to use Microsoft's products in a really integrated and value added way with Salesforce. If they had, if there was a big firewall between those two, then their mutual customers would have to make a decision. Like, you know, we love Salesforce, but it won't connect to our Microsoft stuff at all. So do we switch to CRM or do we, or do we, or do we just fire Microsoft and, you know, go all Microsoft, uh, go all Salesforce and Google or Salesforce and box or Dropbox or something. And that, that's a real possibility. I mean, that's, that, those conversations probably really do happen is, is, you know, we want to encourage more collaboration. We want to kind of get off this installing of software and those kind of things. And that makes, you know, especially with Salesforce coming in in the kind of technology stack that it offers, it makes it natural to want to kind of use Google Docs and all those kind of things as well. Yep. Not only that, Salesforce makes it difficult to store things. I mean, if you have a large amount of documents you're trying to manage and store, you know, you have all these different technologies to use it for, and then you've got the storage pricing, which I think it's gotten better over the years. It's it's definitely much more open than it used to be. But still, I mean, you kind of want to offset that with keeping your documents somewhere else. And they have a they have a pretty good Google Docs integration. Yeah. Like if you if you turn it on, then you get extra like related lists under a you lot do. of objects. And yeah. then and then if you want to access that through code or through queries, I believe you have to ask for a certain feature to be enabled, but it is possible because I had to do that at one point. So I saw a cool um GigaOM article. It was by Adrian Cocroft, who um he was the oh, I don't know what he was at Netflix, but he was the guy that I think, you know, led Netflix into this, you know, microservices architecture, all AWS based and, you know, the chaos monkey and, and just, uh, you know, all that. Cause you know, Netflix is really, they've kind of blazed this trail on how to run your, you know, your operation using all the, you know, just small independent services and, um, you know, completely broken up. It's just that whole microservice trend and, and they didn't invent it, but they, they basically laid out a pattern on how you do it on how you implement that model on current technologies like AWS and really that whole AWS stack from everything from the routing to storage and EC2 and, and, you know, database and all that stuff. So but, is this um, setting up private clouds? Is that no? So anyway, but it's just, it's just an article written by So Adrian Cocroft, he left, Netflix, like, I don't know, maybe a year ago. And, uh, he's does, he's like a VC guy now. Um, but anyway, yeah, he's the, so the article is, uh, was, tw- was 2014, the end of enterprise computing. And mm. it just talks about how, you know, in 2014, uh, you know, net, the Netflix open source cloud platform got traction. So, you know, Netflix also releases tons of their tools that they develop in house as open source, mm. everything from, um, Asgard and Hystrix, um, and plus they, and I think they use a lot of other things. They, I guess they use Spring. I'm not sure. They just mentioned Spring, the Spring microservices architecture. Um, but you know, all this stuff really took off a bunch. And of course, there's Docker. So he says, you know, on in 2014, Docker wasn't on any roadmaps, but in 2015, it's on everyone's roadmap. And you know, Docker's all about just making it super easy and almost like platform independent to run your application in just anywhere, even more so than virtualization. It's, it's, um, it's like lightweight virtualization. Um, and so that's taking off, um, the concept of anti, of anti-fragility took off. And that's again, like the, the Netflix chaos. Are you familiar with chaos monkey? No, it's this. So it's, it's the idea and they have tools to do this. I guess, I guess chaos monkey itself is a tool, but it, um, it goes through, so they have, you know, let's say you have a big application and, you know, it's composed of like, you know, let's say 10 different, you know, uh, you know, web servers and, uh, you know, some reverse proxies and, and databases. And it just goes in the say they're all, they're all hosted on Amazon. It actually goes through your Amazon. It looks at your Amazon servers and it just starts restarting. It just randomly restarts certain, you know, a server here, a server there or whatever. 
and it, and and that's how you that's basically how they prove out that they can handle an, an outage or a server going down. Hmm. And so they're constantly, you know, just running this this tool that just continually prove it. Or of course, it, you know, if you do have a problem, it, it surfaces that. Um, but basically, they're saying that you know any individual server can go down and everything's still working because there's there's never there's never one server that's like the sole source of a service. All right. And and that server should just be able to restart itself and discover you know its neighbors and what its role is and just get and just jump right back into the into the mix. Um, but anyway, so that you know that whole concept of what they're calling anti fragility took off. Um, cloud Roundup AWS moves to a new phase. Um, you know AWS continues to dominate cloud computing. Um, it says Azure is getting a lot of enterprise cloud signups, but it still it still doesn't even hold a candle to AWS in terms of size and. And uh, Azure had a re- like a massive outage last year that was kind of embarrassing. And I, I think AWS had a fairly good year last year. Like, I mean, I think they had, yeah, I guess it's been a couple of years since they had a big outage. But anyway, um, and then you've got Google, of course, trying to play in that am- that AWS space. But yeah, it just talks about how people, I, I guess the point is, and I didn't fully get it, but maybe that instead of going to like the, um, who's the big virtual machine? VMware? Um, yeah, instead of going to VMware for their, or Citrix or whatever, for these big enterprise virtualization services, people are using these open source tools and companies like Netflix are are contributing like these really awesome tool sets um, into the community and people are building big services off of off of this non-enterprise, this is, this is not enterprise technology, this is all just open source and uh, you know, the whole DevOps thing it's just, it's all kind of a part of the same mix. Hmm. Pretty interesting. That's interesting. So, so these companies would be doing this all internally as opposed to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not that you don't use external services, but you're using things like, you know, cheap commodity services like AWS or Azure or whatever. You're not using mm-hmm. the big, you know, managed services, right? You, you are, you're doing it on your own in terms of like, it's up to you to architect it and build it and and manage your, you know, your AWS infrastructure and all that. But, but you're not actually, um, and there's no managed service you're buying. There's no expensive consultants. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I, I recently found an article that talked about um, private clouds basically being just a, a huge failure. That as companies, enterprise companies try to bring that in and create their own what they call cl- clouds, they they essentially end up creating a bunch of virtualization that they're trying to wrap and call clouds. Um, and it, it went on to say that there is a, a a Gartner survey that said that um, for the enterprises that have deployed private clouds, only 5% claim success. Yeah. You know what? There, someone must've did a, done a big press release or something because I saw there were lots of articles just this past week about, you know, private clouds, mm-hmm. public failure. What, what? Oh, here's, here's a Matt, Matt, Assay article. We've, uh, we've talked about his articles before. I haven't read this though. It's on tech Republic. Yeah. Um, hmm, oh, that yeah, might be the same article I'm talking about then. Oh, it could be. I don't know. Um, I know Gart- Gartner had some um, some articles and some other analysts, but yeah. and I, I think I can see that because when you bring it in internally, I think you, you're basically leveraging a lot of the same people that have been doing the kind of old school IT stuff, and, and they don't they don't get the mental to, shift. They yeah, don't the, get the they've they've been doing they've been doing it the old school way for too long, right. and they really those kind of people they they've almost got to just switch employers. And, and go to another environment that where they're just immersed in, right. in cloud, because if not, it's, it's like trying to learn a, a new, you know, spoken, you know, natural language without, without doing immersion. It's just, it's just very hard. And you, you're always going to want to fall back to what your native, you know, thought process was. Right. Yeah. And, and this article kind of highlighted some issues with, I guess, OpenStack, which is kind of an open source way of, of trading your cloud. And it just, it just kind of goes into a lot of just different things. And it links out to a lot of different supporting articles about, you know, the best ways to use it. And if you're trying to use it for X, Y, Z, or even have some kind of heavy virtualization involved in it, you're, you're kind of not going to get the benefits out of it. You know, and it also reminds me, I've seen, I've got a couple of clients that are, I guess like mid-level enterprises who I've seen try to do DevOps and they just, God, they get so much wrong. You know, they're, they're trying, but they don't, um, they just don't really get it. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it also reminds me of like, you know, trying to do, try, they're trying to do agile or some form of, you know, some agile development process, mm-hmm. but they don't really understand the principles and the values behind all this. So they, they just try to like checkbox implement the processes 
But because they don't get it, they don't get the the why and understand the values behind it, they just end up doing it all wrong. It's hard. Yeah, it's a it's a hard problem to solve. So uh, doom and gloom. Do you want to talk about uh, Forbes? I think it's interesting because we always talk about Forbes being the 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 Salesforce champion. They're right up there with them. They're they're cheering them on. But recently, there's an article that says why Salesforce.com is past its prime. Okay, this article was basically a bunch of bullshit. But, but I'll let you walk <laughs> no us go through. for it. I I just wanted to introduce it. I want to get your opinion on it. Well, I mean, let's look at what the guy said. Okay, look at his reasons. Um, you know, they of course he gets a he's so he tells starts off by telling the backstory of of um you know Mark at Oracle and then quitting to start Salesforce and he just gets tons of wrong. He says so he says in two thousand four he left Oracle to start San Francisco based Salesforce dot com. Huh? I thought they started it in like ninety nine. They did. He says that in the article. He says 99. But look at the paragraph after that. In 2004, he left to start Salesforce. Oh, you're right. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> but, but again, there, there is there are very little quality tech journalism. I mean, this did not go through any, there, is, there are no editors here at Forbes. People just, these, these are basically just bloggers and they, they just post and it just, they just blow out just all this crap. Yeah. There are no editors. So, so let's assume that a lot of this is wrong is a lot of his background knowledge, but I think some of the, the kind of what he give like five reasons or something for the, yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's cover the first one. NetSuite is taking customers. Yeah. NetSuite's taking customers. Yeah, sure. I, I don't, I, I don't believe that. Yeah. I don't believe that. I mean, just look at what is it? So Netflix net or sorry, NetSuite is what are they? They are, they're a half a billion dollar company. Do you know? Let's see. And they've been around since like longer than Salesforce or right. like as long. And they, and Salesforce has, you know, outgrown them massively. What is, um, I don't even know how you see that. Where do you see a revenue market cap is 7 billion and what's Salesforce and market cap 40 billion. I mean, I don't know. And I've seen, you know, you've seen NetSuite. Yep. <laughs> it's I hard for me to believe that NetSuite is. I trained on it and everything. Uh, and then you promptly left that whole ecosystem. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> You didn't walk. You were. I, I didn't want to be in, in the in the, the back end managing ledgers, configuring that stuff. I mean, oh, that wasn't it, it. That wasn't it. It was how shoddily and inconsistent it, that whole that whole stack was put together. It, it was it was pretty odd the way they put that. It had some really nice features. It had a lot of good things going for it. Um, with the way it was, the creativeness of it, the way it was designed. But there was also a lot of kind of almost legacy stuff that kind of still existed that that didn't really make it a true cloud in certain aspects. Um, they, they would almost just kind of fire up another virtual copy of the system and give it to you if you were big enough, basically. Yeah. It, they, they, would, they would literally spin they, up they a physical, the they had super pods before Salesforce did. Yeah. But the, everyone was on their own mini super pod. It mm-hmm. was, uh, they, they didn't, I mean, they had to spin up a new server for a phys, They turn on a new physical server when they got a new customer. Right. And they put that customer on there. I mean, hopefully they've moved on since then, but. That wasn't that long ago. And it was far after the point that Salesforce was doing, you know, true multi-tenant. I mean, Salesforce has been doing that since, again, like basically 2000. Right. So, oh, and it says, you know, they, they quoted a customer here that's, you know, we switched to, we switched, we had Salesforce and Great Plains, which are actually two pretty damn good products. Probably best of, you know, best of breed, I would say, probably, you know, in terms, in terms of big, two big solutions for the, you know, business problems, mm-hmm. but our sales reps and our financial team preferred one product for everything being NetSuite. And that says we saved about $25,000 in costs alone. What you saved what, three months of, of one of your employees salary. Big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what was the, but what, what is that costing you? I think, and I, well, I, I just, I don't really believe in NetSuite as a product. I mean, it makes me appreciate Salesforce big time. <laughs> <laughs> So the next one is, is significant competition from upstarts, which I don't really see. I think maybe at the lower end, you know, the smaller business guys, um, maybe please I, I Zoho, in terms of innovation, Zoho, Zoho. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously? In, in terms of maybe innovation, because the smaller guys can be a little more, can take a little bit more risks and, and try something new out. And Salesforce is kind of entrenched now and it can't really do anything too big. I don't think. Yeah. This guy, it's like he put a bunch of facts, but he didn't understand how to, how to, balance or or analyze these facts he doesn't understand that he's not he's comparing you know 
apples to watermelons here. Yeah. It's a Salesforce charges as much as 18 times more per user than some of its competitors. Right. And he compares them to Zoho and Nimble and Insightly. I'm sorry, but Salesforce is, you know, it's not just a dinky little CRM. It's a, it's a big uh, application platform with right. a big ecosystem. And, and nowadays, all these different tools, I mean, think of all, look at all the marketing tools that Salesforce has that I don't even remotely understand that are, you know, like powerful, big, you know, billion dollar products in and of themselves. It's, 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 it's a stupid comparison. And then the next one is they spend too much on marketing. Well, that may be true. And that's a, that's, this is, this is the, probably the one point of this that's, I think is valid. Salesforce is spending too much on sales and marketing, and they're continuing to have to spend more to get less in terms of revenue. And that's, that's one of the big red flags on Salesforce right now that we're going to have to see if they can flip that a little bit. Right. Um, what's the last one? Rigid model that needs to adapt to social selling. You know, they're, and, they're, and his thing is that, well, Salesforce was originally designed around leads to prospects to opportunities, you know, and customers. Um, newer CRM applications are better adapted to social selling. Well, okay, so maybe Salesforce was originally designed that way, but if you're doing, if you're really, if you're trying to get tap into all the social crap and you think that's going to work for your company, Salesforce has the tools to do it. I mean, they're not yeah. cheap, but they're there. And they're, again, they were kind of, Salesforce at the time bought, they acquired these best of breed solutions in that space. So right. to say it doesn't support, it, to, to say it wasn't built to support social sell, selling, I mean, that's like saying, um, I don't know, like cars weren't originally built to drive on 80 mile an hour highways. So what's the point right. they do now? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. That's not uh, a bad analogy. <laughs> I'll give you that one. And then high stock stock market valuation. Salesforce is losing money based on gap accounting. So there's no meaningful price to earnings, um, but on a price to sales basis, Salesforce seems to be outrageously overvalued at 7.2 price to sales. Okay. So maybe they're overvalued, but Last time I looked, like 41 of 44 analysts that, that cover sales, Salesforce stock have, have a buyout on it. And mm-hmm. I mean, it may be crazy, but it's, it's uh, yeah. the market. You, can, it's, you just can't argue with the market. I mean, that's, that is the, the own, you know, companies, the owners speaking about what they, what, they, what they feel the value of Salesforce is. And you, you, know, you can argue with that if you want to, but you may lose money <laughs> if you, you know. <laughs> I mean, just like I do. I mean, I, I think the Salesforce is, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, to me, it seems risky. And I think if, again, if they, I think if they have a hiccup in their revenue growth or if there's, if their sales and marketing costs continue to outpace revenue growth, then I think they're going to have a big, I think, it, I think their stock's going to take a hit. Um, but I'm probably wrong because 41 out of 44 analysts have a buyout on it and they think the, the price target is like, you know, much higher than it's at right now. So stock market's crazy, but it is what it is. And that's how people make money on stocks. Yeah. Wow. You, I know. You, I, I tore you that really, up, didn't I? You really tore that one apart. And not only well, that, you, you did it defending Salesforce. <laughs> I know. Damn it. You got me again. <laughs> I'm supposed to be negative, not positive. You just yin and yanged yourself. Yeah, I know. I don't need you anymore. <laughs> do a Start, solo podcast. Starting next week, this will be a solo podcast. <laughs> oh. As Jeremy has found a way to balance himself out. <laughs> Sorry, John. Yeah, so I got nothing else on that one. Yeah, I saw that article and I I read it and I'm like, oh, this is, I mean, it'd be funny to just to rip this thing up, but uh, I just tossed it, but I'm glad you brought it up yeah so uh really not a whole lot of news because salesforce is just heads down trying to get this release out so they not much has been coming out of out of uh san francisco at this point yeah so how's your uh how's your office shopping going uh, do we want to make an announcement you said you would you would kind of let us know updates on your office shopping. i know well it became it somehow morphed into our office shopping <laughs> no <laughs> Okay, so well, I mean, I guess I don't see why not. I mean, we've we've signed we've signed papers. Yeah. Um, okay, so last time, where were we? So I was looking for offices. You know, I was looking at you know everything from renting office from you know like a, an existing you know office suite of lawyers or whatever these people were you know who just wanted to rent out an office and their extra office 
to things like Regis and Atrium and Premier, these you know executive suite providers who are really expensive, but they're also really convenient and you can get some kind of primo space. Um, and I called you a few days ago and I was like, Hey, I'm, uh, this is, I'm looking for offices and you know, would you, are would, you know, do you have any interest in like getting, you know, getting out of the house and off, you know, officing out of the house with me? And you're like, well, yeah, maybe. And I, and cause I was looking at, you know, offices that probably would not be big enough for the both of us. And I, I was thinking, well, you know, if John is going to want to office with me, then probably should get a bigger office. Right. So you're, you know, you sound like you were kind of all in. So we start, we got and start looking at, you know, bigger offices, bigger, big enough for the both of us. And, uh, you know, long story short, we settled on one in, in the, in Frisco's $5 billion mile, we're right on the tollway, primo class, a, you know, office park, uh, window, window office facing, you know, Dr. Pepper ballpark where the Frisco rough riders play and yeah. shops at legacy skyline. So yeah, that's yeah, a nice area next week. a lot around there. And we, and we got, we managed to get a full window office, which was nice. Yeah. I think, I, th- I think what'll be interesting is that it, it what it means is that we're actually going to try to record in the same room. I, that's actually one of the questions I get asked most often is, are you guys talk actually in the same room recording at the same time? Everyone thinks we do. Yeah. But we're technically miles away from each other. Yeah. <laughs> and through the magic of editing, we come together. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> So we'll see, we'll see how, how uh, our next few recordings go. Cause I think we'll get to move in pretty soon. Um, yeah, the question is, um, and we'll have to do some experiments to see how we probably have to do some treatment to the room to get, you know, a decent, some decent acoustics out of it. Uh, it's gotta be better than my office right now where there's a ton of echo. Yeah. Yours isn't so bad, but I bet I, I you've I've probably worked on improving have, it a lot over the, over the year or so that we've been recording. Yeah. And this, and just from the fact that the office will have carpet, will Right off the bat, we'll be you ha- we'll have better acoustics than your office has. Yeah, so, so cool. I'm excited. Yeah. We'll get yeah, to work together again. We'll still be separate but together. <laughs> separate but equal. Yeah. <laughs> separate but equal. Well, that was exciting. It's exciting news. Any uh, any parting thoughts? Words of wisdom. Um, if you're going to deploy, make sure you've got hours to kill. That's true. <laughs> yep. As I did. Yeah. And plan and plan on ten more hours, ten times more hours than what you think you should have to. I know. I, I sat down thinking it was going to be a quick. I could just get this done quick. I knew it was a big org, but I thought you know everything's been passing. I'll deploy it. I'll just run it. I'll go grab a, a coke or something, and then I'll come back and check on it. And as soon as I came back, I saw the errors, and I was like, crap. Yeah. <laughs> and that that you know what I thought was going to be an hour of my time turned into three or four, and ended up just doing some extra work. At, well, since I was up and sitting at the computer. Ah, good times. Yep. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized. So you get nothing, 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 nothing. You lose. You lose. You lose. Good day, sir. Good, good, good day, sir. Day, day, sir. Good, 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 good. Good day, sir. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. Wash and sterilize. You stole, stole, stole. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You get nothing. Good day, you get nothing. Good day, sir. Nothing. Good day, you get nothing. Good day, sir. There is cheat and a swindler. There is cheat and a swindler. There is cheat. There is cheat. There is cheat. There is cheat. There is cheat and a swindler. Good day, sir. There is cheat and a swindler. Bitch, look it up, it's science. Thank you.